What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Brew Hoop and for Forbes Sports. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Just search for the Brew Hoop feed and you can find it under there. It comes out every Thursday morning, so make sure to continue checking in. It would also be so swell if you could give us five-star rating, and leave a friendly review. It helps the podcast become more noticeable on iTunes using their algorithms, equations, whatever other fancy stuff they got going on there. So today we continue breaking down individual players as we move into Splash Mountain, Brooke Lopez. We've already covered DJ Wilson, Kyle Korver, and Dante DiVincenzo. So we'll continue to follow that same format where we look at the player's strengths, weaknesses, and their best and worst case scenarios in the upcoming season. One thing that is different in this pod, however, is that we are doing it with a guest, or rather I'm doing it with a guest. Dan Favale, who is an NBA writer for Bleacher Report, was kind enough to join us. You can find him on Twitter at Dan Favale. Dan also hosts a podcast called Hardwood Knocks, where they cover all 30 teams in the NBA. Definitely check that out. Dan is one of the most knowledgeable guys that covers the league, very underrated writer and a really good dude. You know, a lot of times it can be hard for those national guys to really have a nuanced take about each NBA team because they have so much to watch, but he does a tremendous job. And as you'll hear in this conversation, he just he knows things that other national writers don't know that maybe more casual writers or casual fans know as well. Um, but he just does a great job of, of doing his homework. He understands the game. And so without further ado, let's just let's just go ahead. Let's just jump right into the conversation. All right. Well, I'm very excited to welcome Dan to the podcast for the first time. Dan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing spectacular, Brian. How are you doing? Great, great. I'm excited. I've done a few of these and they've all been solo. So I'm very excited to see what it looks like, especially a basketball expert, a great mind like yourself. So let's just jump in. I usually like to just give a preview of the player. So let's begin with some of the basics. We're going through Brooke Lopez. So in his first season with Milwaukee, he averaged 12 and a half points, 4.9 rebounds, 1.2 assists, and 2.2 blocks per game. Um, and the main thing is, you know, his shooting, which he shot 36.5% from downtown. And he's the only player in NBA history to ever total 150 or more blocks and 150 or more threes in a single season. So that's some really impressive stuff by Lopez last year. And of course, he was rewarded by signing that four-year, $52 million contract with the Bucks this summer. So let's begin. And Dan, let's start with his strengths. What are some of the strengths that you see for Brooke Lopez? Well, there's one, just the ability to space the floor and not just space the floor, but really be out there and taking these three-pointers in volume. You know, he uh, averaged almost eight attempts per 36 minutes last year, which is just a huge number for a big man, even though there's more value in guys who can hit those shots off the dribble. But if you can stretch defenses outside the paint, it's going to open up everything else for your attackers, specifically Giannis Antetokounmpo. And uh, the effect on their offense was just huge. I mean, it was right in line with everything that Coach Bud was trying to do in his first year there. Some of the other things I kind of really liked from him, though, uh, I think he's, even though he's kind of on the slower side, he's someone who just gets really low and uses his wingspan on certain cross matches when 
the situation calls for them, and that's really cool. And I think his rebounding numbers have always been killed, dating back to when he was in New mm-hmm. Jersey slash Brooklyn. But he did really at the beginning of the season two. You obviously watched the box way more than I did, though. But just boxing multiple guys out so that Giannis <laughs> and these other guys can get the ball and just get up the floor. And so it's not just that he's – spacing the floor it's that he's doing all these different things sort of on the margins that maybe you don't notice but I think personally have a huge impact on the team and I think it showed in how they prioritized him in free agency both in terms of urgency and his ultimate price point yeah I think you know about his boxing out like his rebounding numbers suck just to put it as it is I mean 4.9 rebounds per game for a seven footer is not very good but I mean like you said his box outs are always there and in Giannis his rebound numbers soared this year he averaged a career high 12 and a half rebounds a game and that's on fewer minutes four fewer minutes than last year so that really just shows you like the effect that he has and that's one of the strengths that I have too, is he understands his role and he's a team friendly player. Like his goals align with the team goals. He's not out there snatching rebounds like other players. Um, you know, so that's really, I think one of his strengths. And then, yeah, the three point shooting is huge as well. And he took it at a volume last year that he hasn't ever done so in his career. And he also increased his percentage as well. And I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me was not just being able to stretch the defense to the three point line, but beyond the three point line too. That's becoming a trend in the NBA is now it's just not good enough to be able to knock threes down. You got to be able to knock them three, four feet behind the line. And he's one of the guys who can do that. He, he loves to trail a play and just come up down the middle of the floor real slow, just lumbering up the floor, and the Bucks players will drop it back to him three feet behind the top of the key, and he'll just drain those. And so that was kind of like his go-to play. I think I'd done a video breakdown last year about that. And so that's just something that not just the three-pointers, but his ability to stretch defenses way beyond the line. Yeah, I mean, he hit 139 shots between 25 and 29 feet Ooh. last year, which is just a which is just a big deal for a big man. You really don't see that. And it's really not even just that his three-point volume was at a career high. It was just – I mean, it was just high. 7.9 attempts per 36 minutes is still a big deal in today's game. We know that led – I can't think of one off the top of my head just in centers last year, but that had to rank fairly highly throughout the league overall. And the other thing that – I don't think it's talked about enough, and we started to see this when he played for Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn. This was a guy who just liked to post up the ball. Uh, if you go back to 2015-2016, almost 30% of his touches came on post-ups, or offensive possessions came on post-ups. Last season, that's down 8.4, to 8.4%, excuse me, I can't even talk. That's a lower <laughs> percentage than Russell Westbrook had on post-ups. And I know synergy stats aren't the perfect me- measurement, but you talk about how he understands his role and plays it, that that he's willing to do that and then excel in it. You know, a lot of guys can't deviate away from when they were these featured options. We've seen higher-profile guys struggle like Carmelo Anthony in different roles. And then Dwight Howard's the classic case study of someone who, a different type of role he never really fully bought into, but he needed those post-touches to, to feel involved. And Brooke Lopez... Uh, that transition that he's made over the past, you know, 2015-2016, I think it was his first year with Kenny Atkinson, which is when we saw saw them get away from the post-ups a little bit. So I would hazard that number was number was even higher the in the years preceding that. And just that he's been able to, to bring that number down so starkly and still remain so effective is just absolutely absurd. And I looked this up live. He was 19th in the league last year 
in three-point attempts per 36 minutes. That's just – this is a big man. That's mm-hmm. that's just basically nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. And his post-up numbers, just I'm just going completely off memory, but he started to post up a little bit more toward the end of the season when teams started to put their center on Giannis and put their power forward or a little bit smaller guy on Brook. Um, but yeah, that's just – I mean, the way that his game has evolved and changed, he's really been – you know, just kind of the player that's had to adapt or die in the league, so to speak. And we'll see, this is kind of off topic, but we'll see if his brother, if Robin Lopez can kind of do the same thing in Milwaukee this season, because they'll be asking Robin to bomb away from the outside as well. Yeah. I mean, look, Brooke Lopez can still score in the post too. He was mm-hmm. 1.04 points per post-up possession, which not the most efficient play, but it's still high relative to post-ups there's there's a more dynamic player in there but the fact that he doesn't feel the need to go rogue and explore that or that you don't need to tap into that element of his game for him to stay engaged is just a a big deal that doesn't get talked about enough everyone just looks at the fact that he's shooting these threes making them at around a league average clip on such volume but 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 the journey to how he got here and how he stayed here is that is absolutely incredible yeah, I had tweeted out earlier today um, about his three-point percentage, and of course, when I want to bring it up, it's just not working. But basically, he has increased his percentage so substantially, I can bring it up here quick. Um, so from 2008 to 2009, that season, through 2013-14, he shot 0% of his total attempts were from uh, the three-point line. That slightly increased from 2014-15 season to... 2015-16 when it was 1%, but then in the last three years, we've seen it go from 30% to 39% and then to 61% with the Bucks last year. And so for a guy who shot, you know, never shot from behind the arc and last year, now he took over 60% of his shots from deep. Like that's just amazing. And, and that's, that was a huge part of the Bucks team success as well. And, and, and something that they didn't have in years past, uh, especially under Jason Kidd, Kid was notorious for packing the paint and and Giannis couldn't go anywhere and this Lopez just gives Giannis all this space pulls away the opposing team's center most of the time 25 feet from the basket and just gives Giannis and and other guys such as Eric Bledsoe who finish at a high rate around the rim as well um, just gives them a lot more room to work with on a nightly basis yeah One, for sure what, I don't even think anyone sorry but I don't even think anyone understood how much the Lakers really could have used him last year. And I think he exceeded <laughs> he exceeded expectations even relative to those jokes. But when you just look at sort of the parallels between what's most valuable around Giannis and LeBron, imagining him in Los Angeles last year, uh, I, that's got to sting a little bit. I know Lakers fans have moved on to Anthony Davis, but still. Yeah, isn't that kind of the guy that the Lakers are looking for the rest of the season? Is that big man who can shoot and give LeBron another shooter on the floor and more space? Mike Muscala, baby. Yeah. (laughs) One thing that I want to go back to that I'm really glad that you brought up, and I think like this is why you're one of my favorite writers out there is because you're smart, you know about the game, and it's hard to know, especially like for someone like you who covers all 30 teams, kind of like the ins and outs, but you talked a little bit about Lopez and his defensive ability where he gets low and he can make guys work because I think there is maybe this misconception out there is that just because he's so big, he looks like he's just this big brute that's kind of slow that he can't he can't slide his feet but I think that that's false you know I've seen him last year obviously you don't want him doing it every time running this switch defense on on ball screens but I think you know we've seen it 
last year for sure when he got matched up on somebody like a Kemba Walker and was able to at least semi-contain him or make life difficult um, and use the rest of his teammates. And so I think that's something that is underrated. The Bucks run the drop coverage in their pick and roll, which I just had an article out um, on Brew Hoop this week. And that's what they go to is, you know, his job is to protect the rim, but he showed at times last year that he can step out and and obviously he's not going to lock people down from the perimeter, but he can make them work a little bit um, and force them into, you know, spots on the floor where maybe they didn't want to go to. For sure. And it's it's going to happen more, I think, in the postseason overall yeah. where he needs to find himself in those situations. And that's that's fine because teams are going to be more methodical. They want to try and create and attack those types of mismatches. But Lopez showing that he can stay on the floor in those situations, I don't think people realize that you know he's longer than Kevin Durant. He's longer than Giannis Antetokounmpo. His wingspan's seven six, which I think is the same as Anthony Davis's, but uh, I, I'm not entirely sure about that. It's he might be one of the rare players where it seems like his lateral movements too, like those shuffles are quicker than when he's going uh, north and south. The way he just goes up the court seems slower than when he moves east and west bizarrely and it's it's everything it's the way he uses that length it's the positioning he has in those drop back coverages and like you said the ability to shuffle his feet and it was just really on display in the postseason because there whenever we see you know quote unquote a lumbering big it's you know can he stay on the floor against certain matchups and i won't go as far as to say that brooke lopez is matchup proof uh matchup proof going into his age 31 season and moving like he does but He's pretty darn close for someone who plays like he does. Yeah, when the Bucks lost four straight to the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals, it wasn't because of Brooke Lopez or his pick-and-roll defense or anything like that. He didn't get played off the floor. You know, he definitely played his role in not being able to hit outside shots, but it, it wasn't like he was a huge weakness against the Celtics or against the Raptors. Obviously, the Pistons, I don't even know if you count that as the postseason, but against the Celtics and the Raptors, it's just like that wasn't an issue for for Milwaukee and for Brooks. So I think that was huge, but I fully expect Milwaukee to run their basic drop coverage in their pick and roll like they did last year. And then, like you said, they'll in the postseason is when they'll have to switch it up and ask him to do more. It's almost encouraging that the problem, or I would say it is encouraging that the problem for them slash him wasn't defensively against the Raptors because he can shoot better in the playoffs and he'll get better looks if if the if someone on the Bucks or if the Bucks' secondary ball handlers just do a better job of creating space for everyone else and table setting for others. And so if that's your problem, it's not ideal, but the fact that Brooke Lopez's defense wasn't your issue is encouraging. Mm-hmm, for sure. Any other strengths that you want to go through with Brooke? Does comedy count? Yeah. He's, he's just a fantastic source of of levity and I was lucky to be around those Nets teams when they were first starting uh, out under Kenny Atkinson and for someone who was watching the roster just get turned over uh, around him and all these losses just racking up the way that he I don't think you saw it very openly but the way that he helped keep the locker room together and create this just sense of camaraderie again on a bad team that not only had zero expectations but you couldn't guarantee that the guy to your left or right was going to be there tomorrow Mm -hmm. it was just absolutely fantastic and so I have to think maybe he's not the most vocal guy when you see it on the court or in public but that's just someone that I think you want in your locker room uh eight days out of seven of the week 
Yeah, in Milwaukee, you know, their culture really took a huge step forward this year. I don't know how much of a national story it is out there, but it was really talked about. Bucks players were open with it about what their culture looked like under Mike Boonholzer as compared to the past. You know, they didn't really hide their feelings about how how their locker room and how their culture was in the past. They were really open a couple of times. Different players mentioned they had a no-asshole policy this year in their locker room. And I think Lopez definitely played a huge part in that. So I think you're spot on. All right. So moving on to weaknesses, what Dan, what do you see are some of his biggest weaknesses? I mean, it's probably just more of a weakness in theory, but you're probably going to want someone who can be more of a defensive anchor in the middle that you can say is a matchup proof big man. Um, you're probably going to want someone who I think if he runs lineups on his own that you can trust him to really hit the glass and not box out for others, but to, to go after and get it. Um, or maybe at least be, this is, you know, this, this is also depending the, the bucks, the way the style plays, but having someone who's seven foot with an offensive rebounding percentage of under two mm-hmm. is just not ideal. And again, it's all part of how bud plays. So, so there are those things to really look at, but for what I think he's no players perfect. And I'm really not trying to blow smoke up as you know what it's just for what he's supposed to be for the bucks it's so hard to really uh, nitpick over his game if you know bigs aren't really supposed to do you want him attacking off the dribble like carl anthony towns and al horford can like he you know maybe in a pinch but that's just that's not his game and that's not what they need for him or at least not what they they use him for on a regular basis yeah, that's exactly where I was. Is you know he's going to get paid twelve million dollars next year, which is a significant amount of money. But it's not like they're not asking him to do things that he can't, and they don't need him to do things that he can't. Um, you know, for weaknesses, I had that offensive rebounding in there because, yeah, I mean, part of the reason too is he's twenty four, twenty five feet away from the basket on most attempts, whether he's right. taking it or somebody else, and so. But the other part is he isn't a great offensive rebounder. I mean, his passing maybe could be. A little bit more up to par he can make the most basic of reads but anything beyond that is maybe asking him to do a little bit too much but I mean he knows his role overall and he definitely has weaknesses in his game but I think that the buck system is so well constructed that it just fits in perfectly you know it maximizes his strengths and it minimizes his weaknesses and they don't ask him to do too much they you know they they ask him to defend the rim and to shoot threes and that's you know what he's really good at and so I mean weaknesses yeah I'm right there with you I was I was hoping that you would have more because I felt like somewhat of a homer like with just having that kind of stuff but I'm glad that we're at least somewhat on the same page the the I think the passing is another fair one that probably doesn't get talked about enough but even if you look at towards the tail end of his time in Brooklyn he was a really good passer out of the post and maybe it has something to do with the movement around him that definitely factored in. Like you said, he's not dropping these nifty dimes like an Al Horford would be. Mm-hmm. I just I don't even know how you nitpick on that because he's not getting those post touches anymore. And if we're gonna say, oh, he's just not, you know, fancy dribbling or, or dropping off um for guys when he's facing up towards the basket or in these set positions from beyond the arc. I think we're good on weaknesses. Let's move on to the next category. Before we do that, I just want to take a quick break and we can throw it to the sweet ad. All right, now that we're back from that, let's go through the best-case scenario for Brooke Lopez this year and the worst-case scenario. Um, So, Dan, I'll let you start with best-case scenario. What do you think is the best-case scenario for Brooke Lopez individually this year? I would think it's basically just the same as last year. Uh, Maybe 
if the Bucks believe they're a little bit deeper at center, that his there won't be as much pressure on him because you have Robin Lopez there. Will they consider going to Giannis at the five lineups more often at all this season? I don't know that you can hope he'll improve. Would be nice if he came up on the 36.5% clip from three. Yeah, you know, 37, 38% would be great. And I do think when you look at how his three-point percentage has just basically increased um, in every season since he started shooting threes with any sort of regularity that you could kind of hope uh, that that he'd get there. But when you're taking 500-plus attempts over the course of the season, 36.5% is more than enough. And and I'm so I'm not really sure what more you could expect from him compared to last season when you look at how he played. Uh, they're probably not going to give him a ton more playing time. I'd be shocked if he... Uh, sniffed the 30-minute the mark. I think last year was the first time he came close in a couple of seasons, or at least from the year before, he barely played with the Lakers. I would think they'd keep him right around 27, 28 minutes a game again, if not fewer than that. Uh, do you want him to do different things on offense? I don't really know what that's going to be. They're not going to post him up unless they need to. I think it just comes down to you want him to maintain the efficiency that he had on the offensive end while doing everything he did on, on defense last season once again. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I agree with that. That's exactly what I had too. I mean, his role is so s- specific. Like we said, it's hard to venture out from those expectations. I mean, kind of maybe the one difference is like, if we're talking like best case scenario that his, for me, like his three point percentage would creep up to like 38%. Like that would be best case scenario. It's maybe not very realistic or at the like top end of the spectrum of realistic seasons. But I think if we're just going best case, that's somewhat realistic. That would be, you know, it for me going from 36.5% last year to 38% this year. Um, the other two things that I had was that, you know, he stays healthy. I'm yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> he had an, he had an injury kind of prone label throughout the first, you know, what, six years of his career. I mean, even though when you look back at it, and I, you might have said this on your latest podcast, so this might have been where I got it from, um, but he's only missed, you know, two seasons. Those or Two seasons are the only times that he, he's gotten hurt. Each in, in each of the last five years, he's played 72 or more games, and so he's been very healthy. You know, he played 81 games for Milwaukee last year, and so for me, I think just he stays healthy because he is playing on Team USA this year as well, um, and I agree with what you said. I don't. I think his minutes will actually go down because I think Budenholzer will be, you know, aware of his playing time on Team USA and what that looks like and how that affects him. And Milwaukee has a somewhat easy schedule over the first couple months of the season, so I think they'll be able to ease him into that, especially now with Robin Lopez behind him. You know, Milwaukee spent most of last year without that true backup center, and so I think that'll really help. You know. Budenholz will be able to pick his spots with Lopez, ease him into things, and you know really go at his own pace. The other thing that I had for best case scenario was that teams don't figure out how to exploit him in the pick and roll. The first season under Jason Kidd, Milwaukee had a very good defense. They rolled that defense out the same way, most or mostly the same the next year. But teams figured out how to how to beat it, and Kidd and and the Bucks couldn't adapt to it. And so that's the other thing that I have is just that. You know, teams don't figure out how to exploit him in that pick and roll. He's able to continue to be that same um, rim protecting big. I don't think it's necessarily realistic to expect him to take another step up in that because I don't know what the next step would be. But I think just that he continues to play that great defense around the rim that he did last year. Yeah, the, the pick and roll stuff I, I think is pretty salient here. Is you want him to be as to handle himself as well in the the few 
again, in the dropback coverage, and then any of the cross matches where they specifically target him. If he's able to hold up against that again, it's uh, that's just a huge win for the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Eric Bledsoe will help him out tremendously there because Bledsoe's so good at at fighting over those screens and then putting that pressure on the ball handler from behind. You know, Bledsoe made first team all defense last year, and so that was a big part of it. Is you know he really does a great job, and Bledsoe he, he can venture out and guard defend players like a James Harden, two guys who will have the ball in their hands a lot. So I think he helps Lopez and he helps the Bucks. You know, have to avoid putting Lopez in a lot of switches or any switches. All right, so worst-case scenario. What do you think is a worst-case scenario for Brooke next season? That you would see regression on defense, maybe not as a standstill rim protector because he's always been pretty good when he's allowed to, you know, when he's not doing anything too complicated around the basket. But, if again, if he gets exploited in the pick-and-roll a bunch more, now that teams have had a year to kind of size up Milwaukee's defense under mm-hmm. Buttonholzer and how they're going to play, um, yeah. If, if you're talking about Eric Bledsoe helping him, he's sort of at the behest of how Eric Bledsoe is playing. He's always been a really good defender, but I think last year was probably the most consistent season we've seen from him in almost a half decade or something along mm-hmm. those lines. That's always a risk. Uh, and then offensively, you just you want to see him maintain the efficiency. You don't want to see him drop too much. They can get by with him shooting maybe a little bit below 35% from three, but you almost have to brace yourself that he's not going to reach the 36.5% mark again if they keep up that volume you just look at the season he had there are only 13 guys in nba history who have had multiple seasons of 503 point attempts and then shooting at least 36.5 percent on them that's just going to be a tough thing to to replicate he's going to get the the high quality shots when you just look at how the bucks play around Giannis, and it, it does help that the attempts he's taking they're not these complicated things they're mostly going to be these assisted three pointers that gives you hope that he can stay where he's at, if not improve a little bit, but you certainly just don't want to see him drop. And, and the worst case scenario to me would be, do the Bucks get to a point where all of a sudden everyone is applauding that they kept him or that they were able to get him this season to just open the door uh, to keeping him this year and setting up something in the front court to now you regress where, oh, we're all of a sudden paying age 34, Brooke Lopez, $13.9 million in 2022, 2023. And that's, mm-hmm. That's not a huge number, but when you just look at his his age there, if he does take any sort of step back in year one of this new contract in any element of the game, it does create this sort of unease looking ahead over the next three years. For sure, for sure. Yeah, the worst case scenario that I have is that, you know, like you're talking about that three-point percentage dips. I, I mean, I would be worried yeah below that 35 percent but if it gets to you know he was at 34 and a half percent the last two seasons with the Lakers and so if it's about right there I think that's kind of a loss for Milwaukee um if he does you know he's getting up there in age I'm just kind of going through agreeing with what you had said he's getting up there in age at 31 if you know at some point he's going to start to lose some of that gifted athletic ability he possesses and if that starts to hit, I think that'll just, you know, wouldn't be coming in huge chunks necessarily at this point, but even a small step back, I think would be noticeable, especially in that postseason. Earlier, we were talking about how he, he wasn't a liability last year in the playoffs or this past playoffs, but I think any drop off or any significant drop off, and then he would become a liability. 
Um, the other worst case scenario is, is obvious, like an injury happens or he has to miss significant time. I think that's worst case for him, but also worst case for the Bucks. I have no idea how Robin Lopez is going to work out in this, on this team. He's, he's going to be expected to shoot threes and he's going to be required to take them and encourage them. But I have no idea if they're actually going to go in or what's going to happen there. And so, you know, if they have to go to Robin for significant time, I think that is just, a huge step back for the Bucks. They have other bigs on their roster, like Ersan Ilyasova, like DJ Wilson. You know, Giannis could spend some time at the five, but each of those guys has such pronounced weaknesses when it comes to playing center for any extended period of time that it would be a headache for Milwaukee. So I think that would be the biggest thing is really if he misses any significant amount of time, the Bucks are in big trouble. Um, and so we'll see how that plays out. You know, hopefully he can continue his streak of good health. And last year, I mean, 81 games, that was more than anyone else on the team played. So that that's pretty impressive for Brooke Lopez. And when you look at the East, maybe they can get by with some more stringent load management with him there. If you, I don't know if you saw the strength to schedule graphs that were released. Yep. And I know the Eastern Conference is always going to be skewed, but like the Bucks, like never really cracked above average in the schedule department in in terms of quality of opponents that might help them and this is the most inexact science possible but i almost wonder if you know he kind of punts on two seasons in the middle of his prime age 23 age 25 because of injuries then he doesn't really play too much with the lakers in his age 29 season 74 appearances but he's averaging barely 23 minutes a game there does that sort of help him age a little bit more gracefully because Mm -hmm. he doesn't necessarily have the the miles that some other guys have of course when he plays when he's healthy it seems like every season he cracks the 2000 minute plateau which is you know that's that's nothing to really sneeze at i'm just wondering if maybe those odd instances of time off whether by circumstance or he was forced to because of injury maybe that does help him age a little bit gracefully and or just the fact that nothing he's done has ever been prided on explosion we could see someone moving like he does at least up and down the court and you know how high does he even really does he even get off his feet on jumpers <laughs> sometimes uh, that all might contribute to him aging rather well when you just look at the game that he's playing the thing that would be i think most key to watch aside from injuries if we're assuming full health would be will there be a decline in in how he moves in the drop back coverages or when he sort of has to move laterally against uh, smaller guards and ball handlers yeah i see 50 year olds moving at the pace he does at the local ymca you know did you see that imitation video of him I uh, did. months ago? Just hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, he's I think he's dropped a bunch of different ones, hasn't he? Yeah, he has one for like everyone. The Brook uh-huh. the Brooke Lopez one was just like scary spot on though. The way he puts his arms out wide and just waddles around. Yeah, and it's it's like I said, it does seem like he moves vertically slower than he does horizontally sometimes, and that's not something that I think is supposed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, overall, like for Brooke, he he's done a tremendous job, and yeah, it would be great if he could just you know keep that pace going. I think, like you're saying, the Bucks they're going to be top two seed um, unless something goes dramatically wrong for them. You know, it's going to be them in Philly. I don't see any of those other teams in the East really having anything close to the firepower to be able to contend with the Bucks and the 76ers in the regular season. So I think Milwaukee can be smart about that. They can be, you know aware of how he's feeling his mileage and be able to make sure that he's ready to go for the playoffs which for for bucks like it's weird because milwaukee like regular season has been like the prize for so long and then all all of a sudden 
two years later, like the regular season means nothing to the Bucks. It's all what they do in the playoffs. And so that'll be really be a weird feeling, but I think the whole team will be ready to, you know, just make sure that and getting back to Brooks specifically, just make sure that he's ready and that he's not doing anything unnecessary in the regular season because it's all about the playoffs. All right, any last words, anything else you wanted to add about Brook, either good or bad? No, I, I got nothing. I'm really excited to see him and Robin Lopez on the same team, though. I said this on, I think, my last podcast. We did the Central Division. We were talking about them, and I'm just I'm ecstatic to see what those two are like interacting on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they – because it's hard to tell. I mean, their sense of humor is so dry to begin with. You know, they're not, like, joking and laughing. It's all just dry sense of humor. So it'll definitely be fun to watch. And I don't know if it's just because Rolo has the crazy hair that you kind of sense that he's joking, but Brooke's sense of humor is so dry that it's <laughs> just it, – it's more than deadpan. Yeah. It's great. It's great. So yeah, thank you for hopping on, Dan. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Everyone, make sure to check out Dan's stuff. Check him out on Twitter. He writes for Bleacher Report, covers the whole NBA, really does a great job. And you can also listen to his podcast on Hardwood Knox. Definitely give that a look. Uh, listen, it's really, really good stuff. Uh, so that's all that I have for you guys today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to check us out next week. This podcast comes out every Thursday. Hope to catch you next time. Bye.